In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Justin Jackson and I have a very candid conversation about why it's important to define your business by the people that it serves instead of the product that you make, and how to stop stressing yourself out trying to come up with the next perfect SaaS app idea. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 93. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, as always, and it's my pleasure to be welcoming back to the show for, I think, maybe the third time, uh, my good friend, Justin Jackson. How's it going, Justin? Hey, Adam. Good to be back, man. Um, I'm actually looking forward to seeing you. I'm going to get to see you at the end of this month. When's this going to get published? <laughs> this will, uh, I don't know. Well, maybe I'll publish it next week. I got one coming out next week. I have a couple recorded, but the order of them doesn't matter. So maybe we'll All put right. it out next week. Well, anyway, end of Ju- end of July, you and I will be in Chicago together. And I, that's one of my favorite things is getting to hang out with people I like from the internet in person. Um there's just something about that of having all this interaction online and then getting to actually share real meat space together that's really, uh, I don't know, it's energizing to me to be yeah. around folks. Yeah, man, that's going to be fun. So I guess like for anyone who doesn't know, you are just sort of recently announced, I don't even know if Taylor has said it, but you've you've talked about it. Um, you are going to be emceeing Laracon in Chicago yeah. this year. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I love doing that kind of stuff. I love being on stage. And for me, uh, emceeing, I like to give talks too, but talks have a lot of stress connected with them uh, because I can't get by on just, you know, being charismatic. You you really, a, a good talk requires just a lot of thought. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had like a real MC at one of the U.S. Laracons before either. So it's kind of like a cool way to take the polish up a notch on the, the conference. And it's always been super polished. So it'll be yeah. fun to have a, have a real MC instead of Taylor just kind of going up there and just saying whoever the next speaker is. <laughs> Hopefully I do a good job. That is the one thing about Laravel. And it's a good pressure. But because everything is done so well, like... Every Laravel project seems to have impeccable design. The conference is like so well run. You know, there's the talks are incredibly well done. It's, I don't, do you feel that? Like when you're getting ready to give a talk, do you feel the pressure? A little bit for sure. Like it's one of the few conferences I ever speak at that's always in like a theater instead of like a conference room in a hotel or something. You know what I mean? Everything is definitely like up a level from, from most of the, the stuff that I get to do. So anyways, um, the reason I want to have you back on, on the show today is cause I've been thinking a lot lately about sort of like finding ideas for things and not, not even necessarily about finding ideas as much as kind of the meta level around that of like, should I even be thinking about looking for ideas? Am I even approaching this sort of thing uh, correctly? And I've, I've had a couple of insights that have kind of really impacted the way I've been thinking about like running my own business and, and how I spend my time. Mm-hmm. And um, some of that stuff is stuff that I've seen you talk about a bunch of times, either, you know, in writing or at conferences or, or on one of your 17 or 18 podcasts. Um <laughs> So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out maybe like where's the where's the best place uh, to start here. Uh, 
But, one thing I one thing that was interesting to me as you were messaging me and you talked about this on Twitter too is kind of the context for this, which is uh, like you have this one tweet where you said, "Racking my brain for ideas always is always unproductive, stressful, and makes me feel terrible." Yeah. Do you want to like start there? Like, what was going on? Yeah. As kind of the background to this. So I guess. Um, so I work for myself, right? And I can kind of spend my time doing whatever I want to do as long as I know that down the road that's going to pay off in some way, shape, or form, so that I can actually make a living. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've done a bunch of different stuff. I wrote like a book, the Refactoring the Collections book. I did uh, the Test Driven Railroad course. Most recently, I did like the Advanced View course. Uh, I have a podcast, and I have like sponsors for that. So you know, some income comes from that. I I have like Tailwind CSS, which is you know not something that makes any money. It does actually make a little bit of money from the ad network that runs ads on it. But, um, Hmm. you know, that's something I spend a lot of time on and have some ideas around. Uh, but, but in general, all that stuff has kind of felt like kind of like scattered different ideas. I've always kind of felt like, um, I always have to try and know what my next project is while I'm working on the current project and just hope mm-hmm. that I always have an idea to put after the next one. You know what I mean? It feels like I'm kind of like building the bridge as I'm like walking across it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, al- I'm always in the back of my head trying to figure out like, what do I actually want to be doing long term? Because all these things feel like kind of temporary little projects. Like the view course, I spent maybe eight weeks on that of actual work. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I kind of had to like learn the ideas and everything for years before that, but actually deciding to build it, put up a landing page, record the videos, that was like an eight-week project. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my projects kind of feel like that. They're just kind of these like temporary things that I do get some influx of income from it Mm -hmm. that figure out like the next thing to do. And I'm always trying to figure out like what do I actually want to be putting like years of my life into? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't have any of those projects it feels like. Um, yeah. And as someone who's like a software developer who likes to just like make stuff and put it out there, the dream mm-hmm. for me has always been like some sort of SaaS app or something, right? Like I want to be able to sit down, work on features for a product, ideas for a product, polishing things, putting it out there, getting users and being able yeah. to just focus on one thing and grow it for, for years, right? Yeah. And I feel like I'm always kind of chasing that. And that's kind of what I was talking about in that tweet because sometimes I get into a little bit of a funk, usually like a few weeks after I finish a project before hmm. I've really started on the next one where I don't have that kind of that that thing that I'm focused on getting done where like when I was working on the view course, I feel like I have this like purpose, right? It's like, okay, this is the thing that I'm doing. This is what's occupying my mind and I can just hustle on that but when yeah. it's done I get back into this mode where I'm kind of thinking okay so like what's what's next what what am I going to be working on long term mm-hmm. and it just gets me in the spot where I'm thinking about okay I, I want to make a SaaS app what sort of SaaS apps could I make what sort of scratch my own itch problems do I have or what sort of things can I just like imagine and I feel like a lot of developers probably have felt the same thing where you're just kind of like trying to brainstorm and like force yourself to come up with some innovative thing that's going to be a successful business. And when you think about it that way, it's like, of course, it's never going to be that easy. You're never going to be able to just sit and like force your brain to like invent some amazing idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it always just feels kind of like, 
it's hard because I feel like I have to keep thinking about it to try and figure it out. But at the same time, when I really think about it, I know like there's no way I'm going to come up with something using this process that I'm trying to use to invent some idea. And it just kind of yeah. makes me feel like, where am I going to get this idea from if I'm not going to get it from this? And it can be like really disheartening. So I yeah. don't know. What do you think yeah, about there's, that? I mean, there's so much in there because I think what I liked about that, watching you go through this process is first of all that I could identify with it, right? I can identify with that pressure. There's multiple pressures there. One is what is going to be my life's work? Yeah, exactly. What am I going to be known for? Am I, you know, am I always going to be doing these little things? Is that enough? Uh, you know, what what's going to be my base camp is kind of like the the thought I think a lot of yeah. us have. And it was almost worse when they doubled down on Basecamp because when they had all of those projects going, it was easy to say, oh, okay, well, you know, that, cool. Like, they've got a bunch of projects. I got a bunch of projects. But when you're heroes, and you and I are, have always been fans of 37 Signals and what they've done, um, when your heroes do something and you're like, oh, God, like, Basecamp's their, life, their life's work. Like, that's... They've basically said that's their best idea. What's my best idea? And it yeah. creates this pressure that is, uh, as you've seen and as I've seen, like pre- <laughs> that kind of pressure is terrible for creativity. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. It, when you like put yourself in a closet and say, okay, I'm not getting out of this closet <laughs> until I've got a good idea. And... <laughs> It's so true though, man. Like I'm sure people listening to this right now are thinking are laughing because like they know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so dumb though. It, it It's not like, like all the good ideas that we've seen, very few of those were, were done, you know, at under those kind of circumstances, like that it just doesn't work that way. So I, I found that part really interesting. Just that, you know, you felt that pressure I think the other thing that's interesting as a side note is because for me as your friend on the outside, I'm just like looking at, like I was looking at you go through all this, but your conclusion to me was like, well, of course, Adam. And maybe we can talk about your conclusion in <laughs> sure, a bit. Yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, to me, it was like, well, of course, that's, yes, that's your mission. Like you're clearly really good at that. You're already doing that. You've been successful at that. But I think what was instructive, and I've seen this in my own life too, is that when you're, I don't, I always mess up this metaphor, but when you're in the forest and all you can see is the trees in front of you, it's really hard to get a sense of the bigger picture. But people that are around you, like your friends or maybe even better, like a professional, like a professional therapist or a professional coach or something, even though we might like, I don't know, uh, kind of bulk at that, but someone who could like is good at zooming out and looking at your whole life when you're just in the forest and all you can see is the trees and they're right in front of you and you don't know where you're going to go next and you feel like you're lost without a compass. I, I think the people around us can be helpful, even if we're really good. Because t- in my mind, I'm like, at, like, no one's better at this than Adam. And to see you kind of struggling with these same human things was you know, reassuring, but also reminded me like of the need of sometimes to have outside folks 
And so for you, it was going back to this Derek Sivers book. I think it was the book. Yeah. Did you go back to the book? Yeah. Yeah. And so for you, he was kind of like the sage standing on the outside <laughs> saying, well, like, zoom out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that a little bit. So so the book is Anything You Want by Derek Sivers, which is kind of like his story and like lessons learned and kind of philosophies that he took away from running CD Baby for 10 years or something from like 98 to, to 2008. Yeah. And, and for the millennials listening, that's compact disc baby not like <laughs> not like cd baby like it wasn't it wasn't uh, bird food it wasn't uh you know like uh, I, I or uh like uh, a service for crack babies born in sa- cd parts of the neighborhood or something like this was like cd compact disc anyway yeah exactly so so anyways I'm trying to think the best way to sort of explain what my takeaway was from this from this book this time because I've read it multiple times and it, it's one of those books where every time I read it there's like a different message in it for me depending on where I kind of am at with what I'm doing and um, this time it was basically just realizing that like Derek is at the core of it he's a musician right like that's where this whole thing came from he's a musician he wanted to sell his CDs online he just figured out a way to do it. His friends wanted him to do it for them too. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, he has this business where um, he basically takes on the job of being like a full-time software developer, building all the features and all this stuff, uh, in addition to just kind of like the administrative stuff, running the business, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about it to me is that he didn't like go into this problem as a software developer. You know what I mean? Like he didn't mm-hmm. want to start a software company or like a CD warehousing and, and shipping company. Um, mm-hmm. He's a musician and his buddies are musicians and he had musician problems and wanted to make being a musician better or easier in some way. And yeah. starting CD Baby was the way that he ended up kind of doing that. And everything he talks about in the book is all about how like any decision was always came down to like, okay, well, what would be the ideal decision to make here from the musician's perspective? What makes, you know, what solves their problem better? Not like what is necessarily best for, for the business. And he never really like said it specifically, but like my takeaway from the whole thing was basically just how the business was really just helping musicians. Like that's what the, Mm -hmm. the mission was. The mission wasn't like, it wasn't about having this idea for building a website where you could upload your music and stuff like that. It wasn't about any idea. It it came from like, I enjoy and care about making being a musician better. And it sounds like almost obvious in a lot of ways, like when I say it, but something about it like really flipped my perspective. And I can give you an example of what I mean because Mm -hmm. Like I kind of mentioned, all the stuff I've I I do kind of feels like scattered in a lot of ways. I have like a bunch of educational products, right? Then I have like some open source stuff that I want to pursue more. Then I do like some live streaming stuff and and whatever. They're they're all kind of they feel like these independent kind of isolated projects that I work on. Like you know, creating a course on test driven Laravel. There is overlap with like something on like advanced view, but mm-hmm. they're not like pushing in this like one obvious direction you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and i think what this book kind of made me realize this time is i kind of had this annoying feeling where i kept feeling like i don't want to be like a teacher forever like i don't want that to be my job like i'm good at 
creating educational content. I, I know that. And, you know, I believe that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, I, I, that's not what I want to do forever. Like I kind of mm-hmm. getting a little bit burnt out on that in some ways. Like I want to be able to like build other stuff, but I always kind of mm-hmm. felt guilty about it in some ways. Cause it felt like I ran an a training business, like an education business. That was like the category that my business existed in was creating training products. Yeah. And what, what this reading this book again has done is kind of made me realize that I was thinking too much about like the category that I existed in instead of like the job that I was trying to solve by creating things in that category. It's almost like jobs to be done sort of stuff. Yeah. as well. You know what I mean? Like basically I flipped this telescope around and I'm looking at it through, like, through the other end now. And it made me realize that like, I don't, I don't have to be in the business of like creating education products. Like I don't mm-hmm. have to exist in that category. I have to think yeah. about like, what am I making those for? And I'm making those because I want to help software developers have more fun at their jobs or write code that they are happier with or build better stuff faster. And when mm-hmm. I kind of flip that around and look at it from that lens, then it just like removes any guilt that I had about like building something that wasn't a video course because yeah. total my Tailwind CSS framework is totally solving like that same problem for those same people. And it's in a totally different category than any sort of educational thing. And yeah, um, yeah I don't know. That was just like really insightful and clarifying for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, I have talked about this a lot, uh, about saying, you know, don't start with an idea, start with people. And you said that this time around, what, because you've heard that before, but there was something different about uh, this time around. It was like, can you explain that a little bit? It's hard to explain, but I think... um like, yes, I've heard that advice before and I've seen you talk about it before and it's obviously great advice, but I think a lot of time I saw it and kind of took it as like, yeah, that's, that's a good insight. And I think I do that already. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is, and and what I've always kind of taken away from this idea of like, pick your market before you pick the idea And, Mm -hmm. and even phrasing it that way kind of makes you look at it. I think in the way that I was thinking about it traditionally, which is that like, you don't want to build something for people who can't sustain your business, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to make like hobbyist software for hobbyist photographers who don't actually make any money doing it and won't pay to host their portfolio online or something mm-hmm. like that. You know what I mean? You need yeah. to find people who are actually paying to solve problems that yeah. they have so that whatever you build for them is actually worth building and you're not like wasting your time because you can't just build something forever for free and you can't just build something and then try to find the people after and hope that that they're going to buy it you need to kind of know that uh, up front but Mm -hmm. yeah so i've always kind of looked at it from sort of a kind of a colder clinical sort of perspective which was like you want to make sure that the market that you're choosing uh has money not from the perspective that i'm looking at it now which is more like my business isn't the idea. My business is helping whatever group of people I decide to help make progress with whatever their problems are. And doing that can take the form of, of just about Mm -hmm. anything without feet without. That doesn't mean that like I'm switching ideas all the time or whatever, as long as I'm still kind of focused on, on the same group, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think it's, there's a lot to, 
I think there's a lot to unpack with this idea of choosing a market first, because some of it is, yeah, you want to choose a market that pays for things and is easy to reach and all that stuff. And I think what's helped me kind of like the added layer on top of that for me now is this idea of founder market fit, like choosing a market. So product market fit is uh, a good market and a product that satisfies that market. So that's kind of all the market dynamics. But founder market fit is more of, is this group, is this helping, is helping this group motivating to me? And when you look at it like that, then you get this kind of burst that you've just had, which is, you know, it's incredibly motivating to wake up every day and go, okay, who am I trying to serve? Like, if, if I'm working on something, who is this for? And if you have an answer to that question, and the answer is inspiring and motivating uh, and exciting to you, I mean, it won't always be, but if generally the idea is like, I just love getting out of bed every day and serving real estate agents. Like if that's true, then you're going to have a much better time making things than if you wake up every day and you go, oh God, I got to answer more emails from real estate agents. There's just something motivating about saying, who do I want to help? Yeah. And um, you can that energy is really what sustains you. Uh, when you're not feeling particularly creative, when you're not feeling like super great, when you, uh, especially, oh, especially with product work, because I'm, I'm realizing more and more, like I've been basically trying, I, you know, have training products where I try to teach people how to build product. Yeah. Product is fucking hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Like, and in some ways, I feel like, ugh, like it's it's almost too hard. It's almost like foolish to encourage people to get into it because it's 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 one of the hardest things I think you can do. It's just, yeah. Anyway, so because it's so hard, I think if you're not serving a group that really motivates you to get out of bed every day and go, okay, like who is this? Like you know, and. I had this tweet one time, and some people got angry about it, but I was like, um, something to the effect of fall in love with the people you're trying to serve, not the idea you're trying to build or something. Yeah. And the idea was kind of along those lines. Like, okay, like let's say that, I don't know, um, Tailwind, like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of something bad that could happen to Tailwind. <laughs> but... Like, you know, I don't know. The web goes a completely different way and there's a new type of CSS that's even better sure. and everyone's just agreed. That's, that is happening actually in some ways. So you're, you're not okay. wrong. <laughs> okay. So, um, but that me, but for you, I mean, you could have the feeling of like, oh, well that sucks. Cause I've invested all this time in it. But some people are so in love with their idea that they're like, no way I'm holding on to this forever. Like, this is my thing. This is my baby. But for you, hopefully it'll be like, okay, well, sure, that sucks. But my mission is to help developers make things they're proud of. Yeah. And so if a better solution comes along that's actually better than mine, 
then fine, great. Like, I'll just figure out how to leverage that. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors this week, and that is Netlify. So whenever I'm telling someone about Netlify, I describe it as basically static site hosting taken to the next level. Uh, here's how it works. You just head over to Netlify.com and create your account for free. Then you click new site, connect your Git provider of choice, like GitHub, for example, and then you just choose the repository that you want to deploy. Tell Netlify what the build command is for that site, like NPM run production, that sort of thing. Uh, tell Netlify what folder you want to serve so like the dist folder or the build folder, and then you're done. So Netlify will build and deploy your site to a permanent URL that it generates for you, and it'll automatically rebuild and redeploy the site anytime you push changes to the repository. Of course, you can configure your own custom domain for the site as well, and Netlify handles all that HTTPS for you automatically using Let's Encrypt. Uh, so what makes this better than something like GitHub Pages, for example? Well, on top of just making it super easy to build and deploy your static sites using basically any technology, any static site generator that you want, Netlify includes some pretty amazing features that can make your static sites a lot more powerful. Uh, so Netlify lets you deploy Lambda functions that you can use with your static sites without even having to have an AWS account. Uh, they have built-in authentication features you can take advantage of, and they also have awesome support for form handling. Netlify is totally free to get started with. There's no time limit, bandwidth restrictions, no limit on the number of sites you can have, and you get access to all of the features I talked about. Uh, so if you've got a project that you want to try out on Netlify, head over to netlify.com slash Full Stack Radio to get started and let them know who sent you. Or if you don't already have a project but want to try out Netlify anyways, you can head over to templates.netlify.com and grab one of their awesome free starter templates to get you started. I've actually been using Netlify for a few months now on the Tailwind CSS documentation page. And one of the awesome things about it is that anytime someone submits a PR to the docs, Netlify automatically creates a site where I can preview that PR directly in the browser. So it's been a really good way for me to check out documentation PRs and make sure that everything looks good. Uh, thanks to Netlify for sponsoring Full Stack Radio this week. Back to the show. It makes me even think of like real world examples that I can think of where like businesses have transitioned to focusing on delivering like their product or solving their problem in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. um, like, like for example, like a newspaper, you know what I mean? Like 20 years ago, like a newspaper, their job was to deliver people the news. Their product was this print, you know, thing that got delivered to your doorstep or that you picked up on the street corner or whatever. But now like some of these like news outlets, like the New York times and stuff like that, they have like giant tech teams doing like really innovative software stuff because mm -hmm. like their platform is the, the internet now. Yeah. Um, so they yeah. didn't just latch on to being like, we need to figure out a way to get people reading this paper. Maybe if we make the paper smell better, more people will want to buy our paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't get too attached to the implementation. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing I think, um, uh, tactically, tactically, tact the, 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 yeah, the strategy part of this is, so if you really enjoy serving a particular customer and you get to know them better than anybody else, you build network a network with those people, you have contacts, you have context, you've got history, you've got, um, you know, a... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of... You've got a reputation... That is very difficult to duplicate. 
it's a competitive advantage. If you know your customer better than anyone else, no matter kind of what you do, even if someone comes along and takes one part of your business away, you still have this asset of, I know these people better than anybody else. Nobody can compete with me on that. And so, sure, let's say someone like comes along and just uppercut, tailwind is done, knocks you out. Okay, no big deal because I still know John and Sally and Janet and all these people in my audience. I know them better than anyone else. And I'm motivated to help them get better no matter what the you know, the channel is, doesn't matter whether it's education or software or conference talks or, you know, whatever, as long as I can help that group and make a living, I'm good. You know, it's a freeing way to, to live your life, uh, as opposed to getting attached to this one idea. And then, you know, it's like you built Friendster and it's like, I, this is my best idea ever. And then, you know, Facebook comes along and, you know, kills you. No big deal. Like if, if you're, you can just move on to the next thing because you're just passionate about the people. Yeah. hundred percent. I think like the, the other thing that I realized as a result of that is thinking about things that way actually helped me like disqualify a lot of other ideas that I had. Mm, yeah. Because I've kind of always looked at myself as like, okay, I'm a software developer. I like to make software. I got to come up with ideas that are me making software. And, if I'm being honest at the end of the day, that's still ultimately what I would love to spend my time doing from an actual, what is the work I'm doing perspective. Um, but the reality is that that's kind of, it's kind of selfish and unrealistic, right? Like I I don't Mm. think that's a productive way to think about like, how am I going, like if I'm going to work for myself and make my own money, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's as easy as just like choosing what I want to do and then figuring out a group of people uh, Hmm. to do that for. I I think that, I think a lot of people do succeed at that. Like, especially like there's a lot of people like the microconf crowd, for example, Mm -hmm. who take like a very sort of like calculated and like strategic approach and not very emotional approach to business in a lot of ways. I think a lot of it's like looking for opportunities, figuring out how to like provide like what the market needs and they get satisfaction out of doing that part of it. You know what I mean? People mm-hmm. doing SEO optimization and stuff like that. Whereas that's just not really in my DNA, I don't think. Like for me, I yeah. have to be like excited and passionate about the actual, about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, one difficult thing about looking at what's worked in the past or even what's worked, for example, with microcomp folks is... Let's just say that, you know, we just lived through the, I mean, we did. We lived through the beginning of SaaS, really. Yeah. Um, when Basecamp gets launched in 2004. Something like that, yeah. Um, and, you know, Salesforce was before that, but that was like, Basecamp made it like real for people like us. And so, you know, Basecamp launches in 2004. And, you know, in some ways you could say, well, they just, Found, they were scratching their own itch. They picked a thing. Oh, here there's an opportunity in project management because you know there's Microsoft Project and all this other crap. So we're going to do that. But <laughs> I think um, we don't know. Like now, especially, we don't know like 
how much of that was just like the timing? It was wide open, so it was just a lot easier to start those businesses. And some of those folks, you know, if they had to start again right now, they've been pretty honest about like, man, if, that, if I had to start now, it would be hard, you know? It, it's just not as wide open. And I don't know, maybe my theory is wrong, but my theory is that if you fall in love with the customer and you're just, every day you're just like, how can I help the customer? Like really the way you identified it in these tweets of, you know, saying, um, you know, getting inspired to just like build things for developers and help them make software that they're proud of. That, I mean, you could get up every day for a long time and be committed to that mission. And that's not to say you couldn't choose a different group. Like, you yeah. could, if you wanted to, to go back and choose, like, you know, weightlifters and, and whoever else. Like, that, that sure. would be okay, too. But I don't know. Part of me wonders if this is why Apple won over Microsoft. It's because Microsoft was really good at strategy. They just figured out, oh, here's an opportunity for us to, you know, own this yeah, you know, the, the workplace or whatever. But Apple was passionate about its customers. Like they were really passionate about this group and they served that group when there wasn't very many of them, when it was like, you know, the percentage of people using Macs was very small and they served that group when it was a huge group. And, you know, maybe in some ways their challenges now are, are they're disconnected from that group. If you look at like their woes with the MacBook Pro and stuff. They're, maybe they, they've lost touch with who they're serving and that's affecting them. But there just seems something to be something magical about finding a group of people you're really excited to help and then just like waking up every day and going, hmm, I wonder how... And it makes you break rules. It makes you do things different. It makes you think different. It makes you willing to you know sacrifice your ego and pursue things that, you know, maybe other people wouldn't pursue because you're just, all, you're, all you care about is that group of people making progress in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like, um, I don't know, even trying to look at it from like a less like idealistic point of view or whatever, the, the realization that I, even, I had was like, for a business to succeed in general, right? It has to be like providing value to someone. Like someone has to, someone has to be like making the decision to say like the money that I'm giving you is like worth more than, or is worth less than what I'm getting from you. So mm-hmm. I like at the core of it, like for any business to be successful, its job is to like help a specific group of people. So it seems to me like if, if you can, kind of internalize that and focus on that as the approach that you take to business that it's going to make that easier in some ways, because like, I guess if I try to simplify this whole thing that I'm thinking about down to like the simplest terms, it almost feels like your business can either be like making something in some category and then Mm -hmm. trying to sell that to as many people as possible. So like one product, many customers, Mm -hmm. or you can have like one customer that you totally understand and know what they need and you can make yeah. a variety of things for that customer right like that's yeah. those are sort of the two different like perspectives that I'm looking at like business as now yeah. and I'm realizing that looking at it from the perspective of building whatever 
for one group of people that you get genuine satisfaction from helping yeah. for me and like the way that I'm programmed feels like the most like sustainable and enjoyable way to make a living. Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm that way too. And so that's the, maybe the danger here is that I am going to be quite idealistic, but I also have this thought, this question in my head of, I wonder if in a competitive environment, if that's the only approach that works. Like if, if someone came along that cared about Laravel programmers more than you, and they started doing like what you're doing, I think they would probably kick your ass if they cared more than you. Mm-hmm. I think you're, but the, the reason you're killing it, and in some ways this is also why I think a lot of folks were like, uh, duh, Adam, that's been your mission all along, is they could look at this, the entirety of your life and they could say, you've been doing this forever. Whether it was helping somebody fix a problem in a forum helping someone on Twitter, helping, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You have a heritage of doing this. It's, it's in your DNA. And so it's not going to be, you know, for someone to unseat you, for someone to compete with you, they are going to need to have that heritage. They're going to need to have, they're going to need to, you know, both have that history and have enough passion to say, I'm going to compete head to head with this guy. And it's just hard. You can't, you know? And so uh, one of the reasons I think Basecamp has succeeded is I think they really care about this stuff. They really care about their customers and sure that group has gotten bigger, but the, 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 those types of people, their people, uh, they'll, you know, they, they seem to pay a lot of attention to those people. And when they make things, they're making things for those people. And they don't care. Like, they don't care if, like, if you're a Kanban person, they're like, that's fine. You're just not our people. If you're a, a burn down chart kind of person, they're mm. like, that's fine. You're just not our kind of people. And, you know, they've been so passionate about this. Like, every time I see them making product decisions, I'm like, why do they care so much? Like Ryan Singer, that guy, when he speaks, I don't even understand what he's talking about, but he's thinking about, you know, um, usability and um, not just usability, but he's thinking about product management philosophy in a way that nobody else is. And I think it's because he really cares about it. And so, you know, this is why so many project management apps fail because it's not enough to just say well you know hey i've got a better way of doing a more efficient way of crossing off to do's if if you're not as passionate as Basecamp, you're not going to win this is also by the way why all of when Basecamp got launched go back to the hacker news threads when Basecamp got launched and there's like 10 people in the threads that are like i'm going to build an open source version of this (laughs) and they do and they release it and those are all gone now. Yeah. Nobody uses them because it turns out they weren't as passionate about the user as Basecamp was. Basecamp's yep. going to win. You just can't, even with free, you can give it away for free and you still can't compete with them because they just care more. So I could be wrong. 
re- you can reach out to me on Twitter and argue <laughs> with me if you want. I, I could be wrong, but I think in a competitive environment, that's the proviso, in a competitive environment, being passionate about the user or the group that the, the, the group of people you're trying to serve is always going to win. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, something that I, I talked about a little bit, I started talking about it and then we got on to another big conversation um, was this idea of like looking at things from the, you know, help a group of people perspective, how that has helped me like disqualify certain like ideas um, for products. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's like worth exploring a little bit because, like I mentioned, um, you know, I've always just been sitting around brainstorming. What am I going to build? Like, what problems do I have that like I could make a tool that solves and sell that to other people with that problem? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've had like a couple ideas in in that space, even right. Like, I started working on Kite Tail a while ago, which was like a tool to make it easier to basically sell my stuff online using a, mm-hmm. a, a pro- approach and workflow that I think like felt um, right to me. But when, yeah. when I had this like kind of realization, that's like, okay, my business is like helping software developers write software in a way that makes them happier. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well that is actually clearly like way out of the, category that my business exists in like i'm picking like a whole new audience now so even though at the time it kind of felt like okay this is like finally i have that software idea that i wanted to like build this this app or whatever Mm -hmm. i'd be helping like a totally different group of people a, a group of people that i'm like not energized or motivated to necessarily help like yeah i make a living selling courses and stuff online uh, if mm-hmm. other people want to make a living selling course and stuff online, that's awesome. I think it's a great way to live. You get a lot of freedom. I'm really happy with my life, whatever. But like, I don't yeah. exist in those crowds. I like don't hang out in communities of other people who sell stuff. And I've sort mm-hmm. of tried. And when I do, I don't feel like I fit in really. Yeah. Um, so looking at things from the perspective that I kind of have been taking on from the second or third read through Derek Sivers book has just like made it so much easier for me to say like, I know like why I shouldn't be working on that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, um, a mantra that, uh, is it mantra or mantra? This is a (laughs) a, a mantra that uh, Seth Godin kind of hits on all the time, which is who is this for and what is it for? And when you're answering those questions all the time, you know, who is this for? Okay, well, this is for course creators. Okay, and what is it for? It's for this. Okay, does that fit with my mission right now? And it's really hard to have, um, yeah, it, that's a great checklist. You know, so if you're, if you're building something new, being honest about who it's for, being honest about what it's for, and then being honest whether that aligns with you and what you want out of your life. And it, it, it doesn't, it's not even just about, it's not just about who are you excited to serve? Who are you passionate about serving? It's also about like, is this going to get you what you want? Because sometimes we start projects that just won't get us what we want, right? Yeah. And, and that's a balance think, that I'm struggling with, even as I think about this, because like, like I mentioned at the, you know, when we first started this conversation, I don't think that I want to 
be creating video courses necessarily for the rest of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. But I know like what gives me satisfaction in terms of like the feedback that I get from people and getting people, you know, improving people's lives in the way that I I want to improve them. So I still have to kind of wrestle with this thought that like, hopefully I continue to find other like implementations of this, um, yeah, you know, solution you know, of the, of this problem. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully, yeah. I can continue to find like other f- things that I can charge money for that will yeah. help this group of people. Uh, yes. If I don't want to continue doing like this exact same thing from the, you know, in terms of like sitting down on my computer, recording my screen, and and stuff like yeah. that. You know what I mean? This is this is why doing product is so hard because it's hard enough. I mean, all of these are hard things. It's hard to find a market that you're excited about that will also pay you for things. Yeah. That's hard. It's hard to find a product as a founder that matches up with your values, that you have the ability to build or, you know, be a part of, and that will get you what you want. And it's hard to find product market fit. And you need alignment between all three of these things, product, market, and founder, and it's always kind of this dance of, you know, you're, you're trying, okay, I'm going to do this idea, but uh, the market doesn't want it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do this idea. Oh, but it's for the wrong market. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do this idea. Oh, but it doesn't, it doesn't match up with what I want as a founder. And there's kind of always this dance. It, it's way easier to be an employee and just go into work and they say, well, here's the specs, just build it. And you don't really have to give a shit. Yeah. I was, dude, I was even going to say, right, like right on that, on that exact topic is like, if you, if you can't get past this thought of like, well, I know what I want to be doing with my time in terms of like what I am doing, Mm -hmm. then maybe it really is better to just like find someone who needs someone to do that that will pay you to do that and maybe you will be happier doing that like yeah. i'm sure there's a lot of people who just like want to build software that are going to be yeah. way happier working at a company as a software developer than yeah. they would be trying to run a business doing it purely from this because of the what we're talking about where it's like you can't build a business out of like the specifics of the work that you're doing you you know Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yes like there's there's a lot of examples out there where you can see that like okay this company they build software that's their only product it's a big enough problem and a big enough solution and a more and expensive enough in terms of like how it's valued that yes Mm -hmm. that can be the one thing that they do and that like sustains them as a business but I don't think like we should be looking at things from this, looking at it and seeing like, okay, what is the one thing that I can do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to look at it from like, okay, who are they helping? It just ha- so happens to be that one of the ideas they had for helping that group of people is big enough that it can sustain the business on its own. But you yeah. have to look at it from like that direction, not mm-hmm. from the direction of what is the one thing that I can work on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the, what complicates this is uh, ego and status and everything else because that's what gets in the way of helping an audience. 
So if you keep going to your audience and you keep, you know, you're going going along, you're completely embedded with them, you're hanging out with them every day, you're seeing what they struggle with, you're you know, you're making little steps just even like involuntarily, you can't help but help them. And if they just keep saying, we just want more courses from you, and you're saying, well, but people who sell courses online are kind of skeezy. I don't want to be a part of that group. I don't want to just be an info product guy for the rest of my life. Mm. This is the hard part is that you sometimes, you have to wrestle with this idea of, Sure, it does matter what you want as a founder. It totally matters. But there's a there's also this bit of like you always have to respect the customer first and you yeah. always have to respect this group first. And so many, you know, there's been great products that I think have been killed because the company said, "Well, we have to have this business model." And the customer said, "Well, that business model doesn't fit us." And they said, "Well, sorry, but that's what we're doing because that's what we feel like." It's like, and you know, sometimes people just put up with it, but they're never, and sometimes they leave. And there's there's a dance there too, which yeah. is you, in some ways, as a programmer that's looking to solve people's problems, you have to be a programmer second. <laughs> like you yeah. have to say, uh, I'm just a person who's really passionate about this group. And I'm just going to look to help them any way they need to be helped. And then you can say, you know, where do my skills kind of align with the need? But if you're like pushing your skills first, it's kind of another way of saying what you just said. If you're pushing your skills first, like I am a programmer, therefore I must build web apps that have recurring revenue, (laughs) you know, like, and then you're just pushing that on people and they're like, hold on, like, yeah, I need your help, but I don't need it that way. Um, it, it it's disrespectful to the group, right? And so in some ways, being able to push down your ego and push down what you want for the greater good of the group is yeah. something you have to dance with. Again, what's difficult is that you have to keep that intention with what you want as a founder and the kind of work you want to do as a founder because that's important too. But... There's this tension between what does this group want, how do they want to receive it, and then what do I want? And yeah. how, you know, and again, if we go back to Apple, I think this is where they've screwed up. Is that they say, well, what developers want, what our pro users want, is they want thin and light <laughs> laptops with a touch bar. They developers don't want the escape key. And all the developers are like, uh, fuck, fuck you. I want the escape key. <laughs> I don't want a touch bar. I don't care if it's. I don't care if it's one millimeter thin. No, like, like just we passed me, that threshold now. Like now yeah. they're thin and light enough. We solved that problem. <laughs> exactly. And so th- this this like their desires are just being forced upon us, and we're like, ah man. And again, this is I think why Sketch had a you know a way into the market is because you know for the enterprise they love play- paying Adobe monthly. But there's a lot of independents and a lot of freelancers that were like, I don't want to pay monthly for Photoshop. Yeah, you don't want to get like into this marriage with this software. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, and so Sketch was able to say, well, what if you pay us once and then if you want updates, you you pay again? Okay, that sounds good to me. So... Th- that dance is important 
And I, I don't think that means that you're going to have to do courses for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what makes you incredible is that you're always kind of pushing yourself to feel like, okay, how can I make this better? How can I do this differently? And, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in what you're doing that could be. <laughs> the other thing is that you might be surprised that you actually get as much satisfaction out of, um, I don't know, maybe people want one-on-one coaching from you and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be one of those people. But then you do it and you're like, damn, I like this just as much as programming. You might be surprised by what you like. Totally. And this is what happens to a lot of programmer founders is that they think they're going to get into it and just love coding. And then they realize what they really like is being out with customers, doing customer outreach, you know, all that kind of stuff because they like the customer first. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, so here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, so you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, This is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, So there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL based API. That's really just scratching the surface but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, You can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, You can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff not just with images, but also with the videos too. Uh, You get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan. Uh, So if you're not already using them, definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out. It really is one of my absolute favorite services that I use on my own projects. Thanks a ton to Cloudinary for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. I was going to say too, I think the um, the thing that's important to realize there, or at least has been important for me, is is recognizing that like even if programming isn't like what I'm getting paid to do, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I can't make it like part of my job. Like you can mm-hmm. you can almost engineer it, right? Like an example for me is like Jeffrey Way who runs Laracasts, right? Obviously yeah. he doesn't get paid to write software. He gets paid to create videos and teach people stuff. But Laracasts yeah. is not like um a teachable site or like a WordPress install or something. 
Jeffrey yeah. built this insane platform himself, built a custom form, built all this stuff just as a way to basically still be able to do what he cares about and loves as part mm-hmm. of his job, even if it wasn't like totally a hundred percent required for everything to be totally custom, you can like build that into your work. You know, like West boss is the same way. He sells courses for yeah. a living just like me, but mm-hmm. he built his own course platform just so like he yeah. had a place to kind of like practice his chops and get that satisfaction out of building something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think there's ways to, to incorporate that, uh, either way, you know, yeah. even if it's not what you're directly getting paid for, you can engineer it into your, your business somehow. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that's the great thing about being a programmer is that you have the ability to build things. It's, and so, it's funny, right? Like every business is like a software business in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. you don't, like Walmart is a big software company, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Lot, like the, like you could totally work at Walmart and be a programmer. I have a, I have a friend who is like a senior architect at Papa John's Pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he works for a pizza place, but yeah, he's a he's a very high level engineer. So yeah. <laughs> um, and again, when you're an employee, I think it, it changes a little bit. I mean, it helps if you're passionate about the customers, but it's not required. And usually with an employee, the criteria is. Am I working with people I like? And I'm, is the work somewhat engaging? And am I getting paid enough? Like those are, those are just those are the criteria you need to meet. Yeah. But if you're running your own thing, I think there does need to be this other layer of am I excited about who we're serving? And am I going to work harder than any other founder on the planet to serve that group? And if the answer is no, you know, then it's going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be an uphill battle. And maybe, and maybe it's fine. I mean, there's, there's tons of paths and ways to live your life. Like you can build something and sell it and get acquired and all that stuff too. But, uh, I know there's people like yelling at their podcast players right now going, but what if, but what about this? What about these examples? And I, I, I'm not discounting any of that. I'm not saying that there's not other ways to do this, but all the people I respect, Peldy with Balsamic, Jason Freed and DHH with uh, Basecamp, and in some ways DHH with Rails, uh, Taylor with Laravel, you with all the stuff you're doing, like it's always the passionate people that win. That uh, They're just more passionate than anybody else. And then competitors come along and they don't stand a chance. Yeah. And so like Peldy really loves his customers. So... And he's been doing like this forever. And people look at his product all the time and go, I could build that in my sleep, Peldy. And he goes, go ahead. Like he, ha- he, hasn't, had a- he hasn't had a good competitor in 10 years. Like nobody <laughs> has even come close to building these lo-fi mock-ups. And, you know, they just built a web app. They were a Java, a Java download desktop client forever. And nobody could even touch him. Yeah. Right, like, so it, I think it's worth thinking about. Yeah. It's worth thinking when you're as a solo developer who's thinking about doing something. Then the, I think the one thing you can do is if you you're like I'm just not excited about 
a particular group or whatever is you can partner up with someone who is totally and and then you just have the employment criteria again so do i like working with this person is the work engaging and am i getting paid enough that that could yeah. work as well if that's really your jam but i think especially for people like you uh, adam that are you're so engaged with your audience um it it like you should be running your own company because you're good with this group of people and you've got all of this history with them. And if you don't do it, who's going to do it as good? Yeah. I just, I, I just can't see anybody doing it as good. So, you know, why would you go do anything else? This is for now, this is such a great jam. Thanks dude. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like two things to kind of close off maybe, um, the first thing I, I wanted to mention is kind of like you said, like this doesn't, ne- this isn't necessarily like the one true way to think about like how you're going to build something mm-hmm. and run it. Right. But like the yeah. reason that this has been like something that has made a really big impact on like my mental health around running my business is that thinking about things from this perspective has completely eliminated that kind of nagging thought in my head of like, okay, I need to come up with an idea mm. uh, and always thinking I need the next idea and the next idea and the next idea. Because like, I, f- I realized that like, no, I already have the idea. The idea mm-hmm. is just like, help these people do this thing. And yeah. like, that's cemented in there now. Like there's no more searching for ideas. Like there's like thinking of ways to, to fulfill that mission or whatever. Right. But that's not Mm -hmm. the same as like that feeling of like trying to find the idea, that thing that is going to be like your, your life's work. It's like a huge Mm -hmm. like relief of pressure for me. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the, the one thing that I just wanted to say, even if like this Mm -hmm. isn't the only way to think about like running a business or whatever, which I'm, I know that it's not like that, that is the reason that like, I am thinking so much about it right now and why I f- feel so good about yeah. turning the perspective around in my head and looking at things in this other way. Yeah. And, and now that we've had this talk, I'm, I don't know. I, I know I, I know I can, I can tend to get idealistic, but um, to me now I'm thinking of the programmers listening to this. It, it seems like you really only have three choices. You either work for somebody else and you just look for those things I mentioned. You partner with somebody else that has an audience and is really connected to that group or you are that person that is connected to that group. And I think the fourth option, which is you come up with a brilliant idea or one of the 102 ideas on your Google Docs list that you've had forever (laughs) magically becomes the thing. I just don't think that's a reasonable path, a realistic path forward. It's like a super lottery ticket style approach. Yeah. And I know someone's going to mention someone who won that lottery, but seriously, folks, take, take a quantitative approach to you know, reading, like read every founder story on indie hackers and see how many folks just picked an idea out of a hat and won. It just, it's either they connected with somebody that was like super awesome and already was connected to that group or they were connected to that group and they just 
were more excited about solving, helping those people. They made it their mission to help those people. So I don't, to me, it's just way more clear. Like your list of ideas isn't that helpful. Yeah. Unless it's connected to a group of people. So for the people out there, which is probably 90% of people who are still Mm -hmm. in that sort of mode of racking their brain for ideas. What's like my next invention going to be? You know what I mean? Like, dude, I thought Mm -hmm. about, I've been thinking this way since I was like a young child in elementary school. And like, I'm Mm -hmm. only just not thinking about it that way as of this week. So it's like, a, it's it's a totally life-changing like perspective for me. But for the people who are still, still doing that and want to work on something, but are taking that approach, like, what would you do instead? Well, see, the challenge I'm having is if you're not already naturally doing this, now I'm wondering if I can even teach you. Because, so when I, when I tell people this approach, like, no, you need to get a group of people that you're excited to serve, they go, well, I have no groups of people. I go, well, shit. Like, if, if you haven't dedicated your life to this, I don't know... I don't know if I can help you. Now, sometimes it's just there is a group of people. They just haven't seen it. Like they're so in the forest, like I mentioned before, they can't see. So they're, they're just seeing the trees and not the forest or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there, I, one thing I'm trying to be more clear about now is that like not everyone should do product. And so it, if, if you feel like this big push that you must be doing product so you can be happy, I would question that because trust me, like, I don't know, like to me, Adam Wavin and Wes Boss and all these other folks, they're some of the most successful product people I know. And the fact that you are having an existential crisis, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 it's hard. Like running these kinds of businesses is super hard and it, it's not for everybody. So if you are, but if you are, sitting at home going, okay, how can I get started? I think the easiest way to get started is to pick people like you and just say, how can I help them? So you're, you're at work and your coworker is also an engineer and also codes in Laravel, but doesn't understand Git. Well, just become the person that helps them with Git. And you do that over and over and over again, and then eventually you become Ben Ornstein. Yeah. And Ben, you know, Ben has a thing on how to be use Git as a Rails developer. Like that's how you get started is just by helping people. And <laughs> if you do that, and you're like, "Well, I don't really like doing that," I go, "Okay, well, <laughs> you've yeah. answered your question." Yeah, that's it. So it's I, interesting. Yeah. Go I think ahead. help people that are like you is one. And then the second is help people that are already paying for your time and expertise. And so if you're in, you know, if you're a Shopify consultant and you build Shopify stores and you've liked serving those clients, well, now you just need to learn the skill of unearthing the pain points that that group is experiencing. Yeah. And that I can help you with. But if you don't have the passion to serve those people already, I can't magically give you a pill that's going to make you excited to serve them. If you have that passion, but you just have um, this blindness because you don't know what to look for, I I think that can be taught. So I would say those two things. I would say just start helping people who are like you um, or helping people who are like you 
two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you can help the people that you, you've grown in two years and there's people two years behind you. You can always help them. And then help the people that you're already, who are already paying for your time and expertise and see what comes out of that. And I, th- I think the interesting thing that I'm realizing is like, it's really important not to get too attached to like the mechanics of how you're going to help those people. Like that's yeah. dangerous. I think to think like, yeah. okay, I want to help these people. What is the software product I can build to help them? Like you are, that's a very, that's a, a constraint that's going to make things unnecessarily hard for you and maybe impossible. Like I feel like if yeah. a business exists to help people, then the easiest way to get started is to like start by helping them in the most direct way possible, which is usually yeah. like through consulting or training mm-hmm. products. And and it's kind of like a, a path I almost feel like where it's like helping people in the most explicit form of yes, I am directly helping you. Yeah. And eventually the hopefully that'll lead to you seeing ways that you can help those people in less explicit ways. For example, like with me creating a CSS framework is still helping people build awesome software, but it's not them watching a video of me showing them how to do something. Now there's Mm -hmm. like a a tool that's helping them in that, in that same way. You know what I mean? I I think you can't get too in love with any particular delivery mechanism for that help. Yeah, exactly. And this, again, this is why the open source alternatives to Basecamp didn't win. Because it's not, if it was just about software, then like, why would any of the people who are, any of the companies who are at the top stay at the top? Because if it's just a matter of duplicating the software that, you know, Intercom's built, well, that's been done a hundred times now. And Intercom is still winning. So you have to ask yourself, why are they still winning? And for them, they're just excited. They get out of bed every morning. And Des says this over and over again. They get out of bed every morning and they just think about how can we help businesses be better at communicating with their customers? And so like they did a tour, like a rock tour of them, like just going around and giving these talks about how to do that to them. You know, let's say someone does like kills their software, like GDPR makes their software useless and they can't (laughs) use it anymore. They could literally just keep doing the events yeah, and still have a business. Yep. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be as successful or whatever, but that's what I'm trying to, I think that's what we're trying to get at is that it's not like Adam Wathen was doing this five years ago when he's answering like these threads on Hacker News or when he's fighting with somebody on Twitter about what's the one right way to do this. Like that's the work just as much as Adam Wathen building a really impressive CSS framework. They're both the work and because it's who is this for and what is it for? It's, it's for developer, Laravel developers in your case, but developers in general. And what's it for? It's to help them write better software. It's to help them feel better about their job. It's, it's all those things. And there's a ton of stuff that can fit in those buckets. Well, dude, I think maybe that's a good place to start wrapping it up. This was a super, uh, super therapeutic and enjoyable uh, <laughs> conversation for me. Um, before oh. we go, though, you're working on a bunch of stuff lately. Uh, I feel yeah. like I should give you the opportunity to let people know what you're kind of been doing. Oh, man. Uh, well, I think probably most, uh, most uh, what's the word I'm looking for, for this audience, 
I'm closing registration for marketing for developers this month. So I don't know when this is going to get published, but if it's published before July 30th, uh, marketing for developers is going, I always take it offline and then I do some updates and then re-release it. But if you buy it now, um, you get, there's a deal and you get all future updates as well. So devmarketing.xyz. And if you want to know what it's like to build a uh, SaaS in 2018, I have a podcast called Build Your SaaS with my buddy John Buddha. It, he, uh, we're building our transistor.fm. That's our product. We're building it in Rails. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's a faux it's pas. It's all the same. It's all the on same. On full stack. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, if you want to hear like, what is it like? What's changed since Basecamp launched in 2004? Uh, it's really good. John and I go back and forth and and talk about the challenges now as opposed to then. It's a really good podcast. It's the only podcast that I listen to at a, a faster speed only because I want to finish the episode on like one dog walk instead of having to, <laughs> to wait for the next one. Usually I'm trying to draw them out because it's like, I want to have something to listen to while I walk the dog. That podcast yeah. is the opposite. It's like, okay, I got to get this done. I want to, I don't want to have to wait to, to hear the second half. So I can definitely oh, recommend awesome. it's really a, uh, it's really good. I love I love podcasts where people are just like in the thick of it. It's super real, telling like mm-hmm. their story. Every week, you get to find out like what's happened. Um, yeah, yeah, that's my yeah. favorite sort of stuff to listen to. So if you're if you're into that, definitely check it out. Cool, cool, man. So what's the best place for people to keep up with you online? Uh, on Twitter, I'm mi Justin, and my blog is justinjackson.ca. Awesome. Well, thank you, dude, for coming on and uh, chatting with me about this stuff. It's been it's been really enjoyable. Yeah. No. Anytime, man. This is it's actually nice not having this all in my head. So one of the things I like about talking with you is like it it things kind of come more become more alive or there's something about talking about with another person. So yeah, this has been great. Cool, man. So if anybody is interested in the show notes for this episode, you can check them out at www.fullstackradio.com slash 93. Thanks to Netlify and Cloudinary for sponsoring this episode of Full Stack Radio. And if by any chance you're going to be at Laracon next week in Chicago, make sure you come and find me because I got Full Stack Radio stickers and stuff like that to give away. And I always love to uh, chat with people who listen to the show. So thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time.